Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Exodus, verses 1 through 16. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is God's word. Good afternoon, New Hope. All of you who are guests with us as well, especially, you're welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you, Juan, for reading God's word to us. We are quickly approaching the end of our walk through the Ten Commandments. Next week... God willing, Joe Yoon, who's away this weekend serving, serving our country, serving, uh, doing his, his, his army thing, he's going to be here to finish this series for us. And on the following Sunday, we're going to have with us a guest preacher, Pastor Ramney Perez from Fordham Community Church. He's going to be with us. And then on the subsequent Sunday, which happens to be the first Sunday of April, we're going to start a new series in the Gospel of Mark. So here's one thing that about the Ten Commandments that I hope we will all remember coming out of this season when we've been studying these, these ten words or ten commandments. I, I've said this a lot, but, but it bears repeating. God gave these ten commandments to his people after he rescued them from Egypt, where they'd been enslaved for 400 years. He gave them to his people after rescuing them from slavery. And that, that sequence really matters because it means that God did not give his people these commands as a way for them to get free, to, to earn freedom, to work for freedom. He never said to them, keep these words and I'll save you. No, he said he, he, he saved them first. 
and then said, keep these words. You see, he rescued them because he loved them. Not because they had been an obedient people. He saved them, or, or, or particularly exemplary people. He saved them because he loved them. And then he said, keep these words. Only after he had saved them, he gave them these commands to show them how to now live as free people in the land that he would give them. And this sequence is really key for us now, today. God tells no one, keep these words and I will accept you. Keep these words well, scrupulously, and I will love you. No. There are religions that say that, but God has never said that. God says, I already love you. In fact, I want to rescue you. I want to rescue you from sin, from yourself. He says, you don't have to stay imprisoned by your own failures, imprisoned by your own shortcomings, your own sin. I'll rescue you from all that because I love you. I'll liberate you to then, then live freely by the wise and, and good ways outlined in these Ten Commandments. So, so God is saying, trust me. Don't, don't use this law as a way to work towards acceptance from God. Don't try to use this law to get God to smile at you and like you. No, he already likes you. And Galatians 3 says, No one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. By faith. Here's, here's the other takeaway, and that kind of leads us to the second takeaway that I'm hoping we all hang on to. Um, we've seen this before, that, that with each of these Ten Commandments, God is revealing to us his own character. You see, each of these Ten Commandments they reveal the character of God. We've also seen that each of these Ten Commandments confront us with our own character. That is, each one gives us insight into the, the kind of people that we are. In fact, the closer we look at each of these ten words, the more we see that we are incapable of keeping them perfectly. It's true, they instruct us on how to live, but sometimes we're stubborn. In fact, we are consistently some of us stubborn we push back against these instructions or or we find ourselves unable to simply live by them and that's why we need to let these commandments point us to a promise you see we need to let these commandments point us away from ourselves ultimately we're meant these words are meant to show us how badly how desperately we need God's grace how much we need his mercy. And that mercy is offered abundantly, freely to us in Jesus. Jesus, the only man who kept these ten words, lived by them perfectly, and who also died for our failure to keep them, and who now can empower us with his spirit to stop resisting these words and actually start living by them. We've all failed to keep these Ten Commandments, every single one of us. And that means that we deserve God's judgment. Failure to obey his commandments brings upon us judgment. And our only hope in the face of that prospect is not to try harder. 
It's not memorize the Ten Commandments, although that's fine to do, and just try harder at keeping them. No, our only hope is to entrust our lives to the one who fulfilled them. Because if, we, if we'll embrace that gospel, if we'll embrace the good news that Jesus Christ kept these commandments all the time, and yet he died for our failure to keep them, then, then we can start to experience the acceptance and the nearness of God forever. That, that's what eternal life is. It's to experience, to know God and to experience his acceptance and his nearness forever. And that's one reason that we're going to follow this series with the Gospel of Mark because it gives us an opportunity to let these commandments drive us, direct us, let God's law lead us to see the goodness and beauty of Jesus as we go through that Gospel of Mark. So that said, let's pray and then we're going to look at this ninth commandment. Our Father, we thank you for your truth, for your word. Open our eyes to see wondrous things in your law and, and then use your law, Lord. Don't leave us there. You, use your law to, to drive us, to direct us to Jesus. Crucified and risen again for us. And let us find our hope in him. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. On November 1st, 1986, Rhonda Morrison, who's a white 18-year-old dry-cleaning clerk, was killed. Ms. Morrison was killed in Monroeville, Alabama. And then a few months later, in June of 1987, a man named Walter McMillian, a, 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 who's a black pulpwood worker, he was arrested and he was charged with her murder. He denied that he had killed her, and he had an alibi. He claimed to have been at a church event that day during the murder, all day, really. And members of his church placed him at that event as well. Nevertheless, Mr. McMillian was, was held on, on, he was arrested, and he was held on death row for 15 months before his trial date, which is completely irregular and, and odd that he would not only be held before trial, but held on death row before his trial. After 15 months, he faced trial. That trial lasted a day and a half, and the jury found him guilty of murder, and they recommended a life sentence for him. Mr. McMillian had no prior felony convictions. There was no physical evidence implicating him at all. His conviction was completely based on the testimony of four informants. The testimony of four informants who, who accused him of murdering Rhonda Morrison. And their, their testimony, which turned out to be a false testimony, their false testimonies were believed while other true witnesses and their testimonies were ignored and rejected. And so he was convicted a few months after his conviction, a 28-year-old attorney named Brian Stevenson decided to appeal that case. And following, the following, uh, in the following years, he, he did appeal that case. Five years later, on the fifth attempt, McMillian's conviction was reversed. And then the following week, all charges were dismissed 
and he was freed. His is one of the most well-known stories of wrongful conviction. Many of you may know that story because a book was written about it called Just Mercy. A movie was made about him and about Brian Stevenson and and his efforts not only to to exonerate Mr. McMillian, but his organization's uh, efforts to exonerate many wrongfully accused and convicted people. But his story is not completely unique. Many people have experienced what Mr. McMillian experienced, some form of that trial. Last year alone, get this, this surprised me, in 2022, 268 convictions were reversed. 268 convictions were reversed. And I can't help but hear that number and wonder if there are other convictions that should be reversed that have yet to be reversed. For every death row inmate who's been exonerated, how many have been not only wrongfully convicted, but wrongfully executed. According to the Equal Justice Initiative, more than half of wrongful convictions in America can be traced back to witnesses who lied in court or who made false accusations. Half of them, more than half, all because of false testimony, all because of a false accusation. This is the power of false witness. This is the power of a person's testimony in court. Commandment number nine comes to us and says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And this raises for us three questions we need to answer today. What does that commandment mean? Why does it matter? And what do we do? What does it mean? Notice, God doesn't just say at commandment number nine, he's listing these these ways that we should live and not live, and he doesn't just say, don't lie. He doesn't just say, hey, listen, be honest. No, he says, do not bear false witness. Literally, it's, it's, it's don't testify falsely. Don't answer falsely against your neighbor. Neighbor. That means anyone. Anyone. You see, the word neighbor in the Bible has nothing to do with proximity. Usually when we refer to our neighbors, we're talking about the people that live next door or live in our block. In the Bible, neighbor has nothing to do with proximity. It doesn't even have anything to do with familiarity. Your neighbors and mine, it's any human being that you may have dealings with in person or indirectly right now or potentially. It's everyone. That means that your siblings are your neighbors, so are your colleagues, so is a stranger, so are people who you've never heard of, so are your enemies. They're your neighbors too. And when the Bible says don't bear false witness against your neighbor, this is legal language. Picture picture a court room. (laughs) Picture a court case. And, and, And think about what's at stake there. Think about what was at stake for Walter McMillian in that case, or if you've ever been in a courtroom. Think about the lives that are at stake. Think about the justice that's at stake in a courtroom. And remember, remember, God's people, when he gives them these commands, they've, they've exited Egypt, and eventually they're going to enter the promised land, and they're going to set up their own new society. They're going to build a new nation. They're going to need a legal system. And so the Lord is telling them how to conduct legal matters. 
He's saying if you're going to have a functioning, healthy legal system in this new place that I'm taking you, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to deal honestly and fairly with one another. This mattered deeply to God it, and still does. He said elsewhere in Deuteronomy 19, let's read this, this quote. It's a little long, but, 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 but I think it, it, it's, it's worthwhile. It, he says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. One witness is not enough, God says. Why? Because maybe you can't trust that one witness. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Now look at verse 16. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the office those days. The judges will inquire diligently, diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. What evil? The evil of false accusations, the evil of false testimony, the evil of a broken justice system that doesn't actually accomplish justice. And the result, the rest, he says, shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. You see how serious God takes this? In New York State, I found out that, that uh, perjury in the first degree, which means lying under oath in, in court, perjury in the first degree is a, is, a, is a felony. If you are convicted, you could face three to seven years in prison. So our state seems to take lying under oath seriously, too. Not quite as seriously as, as the Lord Jehovah does. But the Ninth Commandment isn't just about court cases, is it? The Ninth Commandment isn't just about the ways that we speak under oath. It's about more than that. The authors of the the Heidelberg Catechism, we'll look at that. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us, this is how they answer the question. Let's look at that next one, The, the, the next slide. The Heidelberg Catechism, this was written back in 1563, asked the question, what is required in the ninth commandment? The answer, I must not give false testimony against anyone. Okay, what else? I must twist no one's words, hmm, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly or unheard of. Any of that stuff go on around you? You you witness a lot of that, any of that? Do you see any, do you, has any of this ever happened to you? Have, have your words ever been twisted? Have you ever been gossiped about or slandered? Uh, do, you, do you see any of this going on in our society? People being condemned rashly without even first being heard? Any of that going on? The writers of the catechism say this ninth commandment implicitly speaks against all of that. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works. Lying and deceit is from the devil, you say, they're saying, under penalty of God's wrath in court and, look at that, everywhere else. It's not just about the courtroom, is it? In court, everywhere else. I must love the truth, 
It's not just about not lying. It's loving what is reality, loving truth. Speak and confess it honestly. And do, this last part is great, do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. You see, this commandment is about promoting and protecting truth, but it's also about promoting and protecting one another's name, honoring one another, protecting and promoting each other's reputation. The ninth commandment speaks to every human impulse to shade the truth for our own purposes. It speaks against every human impulse to, to manipulate truth, or even in some cases, withhold truth, hide truth, in order to serve our own purposes. It also speaks to the human tendency to share rumors and gossip. It speaks to the human tendency to listen to and then, and then pass on things that we've never even fact-checked. You think a lot of that is going on? I think, I think social media has created a, a forum where this can happen at, at, at huge rates. We can read something or hear something and say, that, that sounds true, or at least I'd like to believe it's true. It aligns with my biases. It aligns with what I think is true. So, so why not blast this out to all my followers? Everyone should hear this. Have you fact-checked that? No, I don't need to fact-check it. I trust the person who posted it. I'm just, re I'm just sharing it. You think they fact-checked it? I don't know. You see, the, the, commandment in some, the ninth commandment in some ways is speaking to us in our carelessness even, right? In our carelessness. The carelessness with which we will receive something and pass it on as true when we haven't even done due diligence to find out if it is in fact true. This commandment speaks to our propensity to believe and pass on info just because it lines up with what we already believe or want to believe. It speaks to our desire to, to cast the words of those we disagree with in a negative light, the worst light possible. You see, it, the, the Ninth Commandment confronts us with our, our tendency to misrepresent people with whom we disagree and misrepresent their positions. It addresses how we use words to manipulate. It addresses how we use words to flatter each other in order to gain influence in each other's lives. It speaks to our willingness to deceive in whatever way and to protect ourselves or get what we want by manipulating the truth. You see, this commandment is deep and wide. It's like all the others. It looks simple on the outside, but when you press in, you find that it speaks to every area of our lives. And it shows us that, that lying is common, and, and it takes so many forms, so many forms. And as one person pointed out, I, I appreciated this, he, he says, we, we rarely sin without a backup plan in case we get caught. Quote, I can always lie my way out of this. You see, not only are lies ubiquitous, and they take so many different forms, but lies are often our backup plan for every other sin we commit. Like, if I get caught, what can I do? Bear false witness. <laughs> That's how I'm going to get out from under this. And so many forms of bearing false witness are... Isn't it true that many of these forms of bearing false witness are, are considered acceptable? 
we've all heard about white lies. We've, you know, maybe we've, we've said, oh, it's, just, it's not a big deal. It's a, it's a small lie. Like padding one's resume with false accomplishments and honors. Um, There's been the news lately. New York Representative George Santos, you know George Santos? When he was confronted about the lies that he's been telling about himself, he admitted to a little, quote, resume embellishment. That's how he put it. Resume embellishment. We all do it, he says. I'm not a liar. I'm not a phony. He said, he just added, quote, a little bit of fluff to his resume. <laughs> all right. <laughs> he, he lied, for the record, he lied about his job history, his education, his heritage. Perhaps more, I'm not sure. And lots of folks, when we, when we heard those reports about Santos, we, we said, first of all, how is this man in office? But also we thought, this is unacceptable. Because this, this kind of lying is out of the ordinary. This is like pathological, right? It, it looks like the behavior of a compulsive liar. This guy, something's wrong with this man. But, but how, about, how about when our deceits are, are less intense, <laughs> fewer in number, when we, when we just lie a little bit, <laughs> when we just misrepresent ourselves or others a little bit? Once, once again, as always, the, the commands of God are confronting us with an uncomfortable truth. We're guilty. We're guilty. So that's something of what this commandment means. But what does it matter? Why, why does it matter? Why does it matter? We've already seen why false witness, the power of a false witness mattered in the life of Walter McMillian. Could have meant life in prison for him. But why does it matter for the rest of us? Remember, the Israelites are about to start a new nation. Like I said, they're, they're going to need a legal system that, that's founded on truth because a legal system that's not founded on truth does, can't function and can't uphold justice. A false testimony ruins human lives. Again, ask some of the hundreds of people who spent years in prison for crimes that they did not commit. But as we said, this commandment goes beyond the courtroom it's true that our words can send someone to prison, but, but they can also bring people shame. Our words can dishonor and discourage and deeply injure and hurt others. Our, our, our words can, can cause loss in so many different ways for our neighbors. We can do a lot of damage. In fact, we can do a lot of damage just by, just by even by just withholding truth and not speaking up in defense of our neighbors, which is a breaking of the ninth commandment. Maybe that's why Proverbs 18, 21 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death in the power of the tongue. And, and, and maybe that's what James meant when he said that we can, we can start fires with what we say or don't say. Without truth, community is destroyed. Trust is undermined. Society unravels. Perhaps you've seen this in your own relationships where, where someone has lied. Either it was you or it was someone else, but it, but it undermined it it, it. it directly damaged the fabric of that relationship, that community, whether it's your household or somewhere else. Because now you wonder, can I trust this person? Can we trust one another? 
as soon as we start to, to operate under the assumption that this person may be lying to me already, that community becomes unhealthy. We start to become skeptical of each other's words, cynical, suspicious. And the closeness and the warmth of a relationship is undermined. At the societal level, it can cause an unraveling of the whole society. Without truth, people are hurt, even killed. Think about the ways we were just, some of us maybe were, were tracking with the stories coming out of, of Turkey and Syria, where lies about whether buildings were built according to codes, whether precautions were taken in building safe edifices for folks to live in, led to widespread death. When it turns out that those home builders and those architects and those officials who were handing out permits had lied. Without a commitment to truth, societies face confusion, don't they? When, when there's no commitment to truth, we end up wondering, what is, what is fake news and what is real news? What can we really believe? Who can I really listen to and trust? You read a study that tells you about how you should change your diet to be healthier. If you're anything like me, you start wondering, who funded this study? Who funded it? I want to know, because I don't trust it. I don't trust it. We assume, I do at least, <laughs> that often the voices that we hear that are telling us to trust them have their own self-interest in mind, and they're willing to shade the truth in order to get us to serve their best interest. And without truth, we're also in constant conflict. Constant conflict. This is happening here at a societal level. Look at the left and the right politically, these wings and politicians on the left and right, activists on the left and right. You hear them talk about the world, and it sounds like they're living in two different worlds. They're representing the world. It's almost like they live in two different realities. And if you think that only one of them is willing to shade truth and manipulate truth for their own purposes, then I think you're wrong. I've heard it said that we are a post-truth society. I don't know if that's true. I wonder, are we living in a post-truth society? If so, church, if so, then, then perhaps this is an opportunity for Jesus' people, for his church, to live in a radically different way. It's an opportunity for us to be a people of truth, a, a visible kind of outpost or, or embassy of God's kingdom here on earth, so here where we live, where we're twisting the truth and concealing the truth, covering up and manipulating, happens everywhere. We can be a people, a city of sorts, a community wherein that does not happen. If we're going to love our neighbor, we need to be a people committed to discerning what's true and communicating what's true. And doing that in ways that are thoughtful and ways that are wise and generous, even when it hurts us. Even when it hurts us. And speaking truth can be painful at times, right? Especially when we have to admit our own failures. 
when we have to take blame for something that we don't want to take blame for. It's painful. But sometimes, I think, I think it's worth mentioning this, sometimes the pain that we experience in telling truth, it's not just because we, we have to um, tell on ourselves. <laughs> sometimes it's painful not just because we have to admit our own sins, but telling truth is painful when we have to confront people we love in their sins. When people close to us, we need to address their failures, their sin. Oh, that can hurt. It comes at great cost. It's very costly. As a matter of fact, some of us, if you're in a discipleship group and you're going to be studying the story of Elijah in the coming weeks, you're going to see what it cost Elijah to confront a king named Ahab in his sin. He spoke truth. Elijah spoke truth. And it cost him. Later on, when we get into the Gospel of Mark, eventually we're going to see what happened to John the Baptist and the cost that he paid when he confronted a very powerful man named Herod in his sin. It cost him his life. And yet these are the kinds of people that God's calling us to be. Not those who confront others in their sin so that we can prove ourselves right. Not to condemn, not to shame, but out of love. Out of a love for neighbor and out of a love for God and a desire to honor him. Yeah, being a people of truth is costly. There's no doubt. George Orwell has famously said, maybe you've heard this before, he said, in a time of universal deceit, telling truth is a revolutionary act. Well, the ninth commandment calls us to live a revolutionary lifestyle. A revolutionary lifestyle that's rooted in a radical commitment to speak and only, only, and always what we believe to be true. And, and not only to speak what we believe to be true, but to dedicate ourselves to find out, to discern whether what we believe is really true before we pass it on. What do we do with all this? What do we do? How do we respond to this commandment? I could just say, we could just say, be honest, right? Be honest. It's so simple. Sounds simple. But we all know how hard it can feel when there's a lot at stake, like our pride, our job, our well-being. So how do we motivate ourselves? How do we motivate each other towards honesty? Um, in our family, we always told our kids, we still do, we tell our kids, it, it, things will go better for you in the long run if you're just honest now. The, 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 the flip side of that is things are going to be worse if you lie. It'll be better if you just tell the truth now. And I believe that's true. Or so we've told them, you're, I've told myself, your lies will find you out. The Lord promises that. It's that. Your lies will one day be revealed. There is nothing that was said in darkness that will not be brought into light, God says. We've also told our kids, hey, you don't, you don't want to be a liar. Because then it's going to erode the trust here. I'm not going to be able to trust you. If I lie to you, you're not going to be able to trust me. We want to trust each other. We want to have an honest, open relationship in that way. Transparent. So we've said all those things to our kids, and we've said them to ourselves. But I think they all kind of fall short because if you notice, all those things are about you. They're about you. Like it'll be better for you if you don't lie. You don't want to be a liar. 
The truth is going to find you out eventually. It's all about self-interest. That's not bad, but I think it's, it, it's not enough. And another problem with all that is that um, lying will often serve you in the short term, won't it? It won't always pay off in the long run, but in the short time, in the short term, it doesn't always pay off to tell the truth, not immediately anyway. So what is a better motivation? Is there a better motivation for us to be honest people? The, the ninth commandment points us to the interest not only of ourselves, but to the interest of our neighbor. You see, the ninth commandment isn't just about honesty for your own good. It's honesty for the sake of the other. It's honesty for the sake of the community. God is saying deceit, mishandling truth, it, it injures those closest to you. It injures those to whom you're lying, and it also undermines relationships and, and connections. It undermines the community, whether it's the community of your home or your workplace, etc. And that's what Satan wants. He wants to undermine all of those relationships in our lives. He's the father of lies, isn't he? That's what God calls him. It's the way he approached Adam, the way he approached Eve. What did he do? He, he lied to them with false words. You shall not surely die. And he also, what else did he do? He undermined their trust in God's words. Did God really say that? Here's why God said that. You will love and protect your family. You will love and protect your friends, your loved ones, your community with truth. With truth. But here's an even more powerful motivation towards honesty for us, church. Ed Clowney, who's a, a, he, he's deceased now, but he's such a wonderful biblical theologian and teacher. He says, with, with every commandment, you need to remember the prologue. With every commandment, you need to remember the prologue. What he means is, before God gives all those Ten Commandments, he first says something in verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20. This is the prologue, the preamble. He says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, in our approach to any one of these commandments, we need to start there. It's because that's true that God can now tell you, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Begin with the God who, who he is. Uh, begin with, with, with an understanding of who he is to you, what he's done for you. You see, because here's the thing, when we lie, we're not remembering what he's done for us. We're not remembering who he is. In that moment, when we choose false over truth, or we shade the truth, or we hide, the, when we hide things to, to make ourselves look better, we're not recognizing in that moment who God is and what he's done for us. We're not recognizing that he is our God. He's our God, not the opinions of others. The opinions of others in this moment are not my God. I don't need to lie to you then. Anything that you can do to hurt me, God has accounted for, and he will protect me. So I don't need to lie to you. Anything I can gain by lying to you, God has promised me much, much more. So I don't need to lie to you. We forget in those moments 
that we've been freed from the need to deceive. We've been freed from the need to blame shift, right? In those moments where you don't want to take blame. I want to to throw so-and-so under the bus for this one. We're forgetting the freedom that God has given us, that it's safe now to take the blame. You can do it. We're freed from the need to flatter people in order to promote ourselves. You see, we often lie when we're afraid of losing something. We forget that all we need has been promised to us. He has promised to give it to us. We are his now. And so it's possible now. It's safe to be truthful. You know, Jesus always kept this ninth commandment. He kept it as an act of obedience and honor to his father. He kept it because his character was completely aligned with these commandments. But he also kept the ninth commandment for us. He kept it for you. And it cost him everything. You know, there were people bearing false witness against Jesus on many occasions. And finally, when he stood, when he had his day in court, if you could call it that, false witness once again was offered against him. You know, you notice all all the Ten Commandments were broken against Jesus. He was betrayed. He was robbed. He was lied about. He was framed. He was murdered. And I suppose that at any point, he could have lied to save himself. But what did he do instead? He told Pilate, a man who held his life in his hands, he said, I came to bear witness to the truth. Those were his words. My commitment is to the truth, and I will not forsake that commitment. That means it's, it's, that means it's, it's now safe for you to face the truth about yourself. Because of what Jesus has done, you can now admit your deceitfulness, and I can too. It's been paid for. We're free to be honest about our dishonesty. He knows the truth about you. Imagine that. He knows the things that you have hidden from everyone else. He knows the things that if others were to find out about, the things that you've buried in your history, you've maybe lied about or you've just tried to avoid at all costs. He knows all of them and he loves you just the same. And he died for you with full knowledge of all of that. And, 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 And he advocates for you. He speaks for you. He defends you. And on the day of judgment, he will continue to defend you and advocate for you in the courtroom of the Father. No, no, this person is mine. This person, Sang, Jennifer, Robert, you, they don't have to pay for their sins. Well, they, 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 they don't have to because I've already done it. I've already done it. Put your name in there, whoever it is. Yeah, Nancy and Peter, Tina, they don't have to pay for their sins. He's done it. And he'll be speaking the truth when he says it. He died for liars. He died for liars. And that means it's safe for us to speak the truth about ourselves. 
I want to end with a question for you, and then we'll, we'll stop here. Do, do you believe the witness of Jesus? Do you believe his witness? When he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, do you believe that? Do you believe it when he says that there's no life eternal apart from him, that there's, there's no ultimate truth apart from him, there's no safety apart from him? Do you believe that? Do you believe him when he says that he has covered your sin and you don't need to carry the guilt anymore? That it's now safe for you to be authentic and true about who you are. You know, the original sin was an unwillingness to believe. Our, 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 our first father and mother, they, they made the choice to trust another voice over God's voice. And so the question for all of us is, will we believe the witness of God? Will we believe Jesus' witness? God welcomes all of our questions, all of our doubts. We can bring them all to him. But we must be real about this. We need to be clear on it. An unwillingness to believe Jesus' testimony brings consequences. And we are each responsible for our choice to reject or receive Jesus' words. And, and, and it is perilous to reject Jesus' words. But it's always safe to believe his words. He is the consummate truth teller. He is the promise keeper. And when he, he was not lying when he said, everyone who comes to me, I will in no way reject. I won't push you away, he says. What Jesus says, of course, will not always please us. It's not always going to be comfortable for us. It may not always satisfy all of our curiosity and everything we want to know. That was true for his disciples. We look at them. They, they were often dissatisfied with what Jesus told them. He often would say, I've got many more things to teach you, but you're not ready yet. So sit with that dissatisfaction right now. What's keeping you from believing the testimony of Jesus? If you feel like you need more evidence, there is more evidence. He's got evidence. But more than evidence, he gives us his word. You know, we make a lot of decisions. We choose many things, including what to believe, not just on the basis of evidence, but on the basis of someone's testimony, a trustworthy witness. And here we have his testimony, the words of the true witness who never lied, who came to die for you. So the question is, will we, will we push him away? Will you push him away? Are you ready to believe in him? You know, when he returns, there's going to be no question about the truth of his testimony. When he returns, he will usher in a kingdom, a new heavens, a new earth, where, where we will no longer have to wonder who to trust or what to believe. Because transparency and truth will characterize every single person. Every one of us. Imagine that. No more suspicion. No more need for cynicism. Just openness authenticity with nothing to hide, new hope. He will welcome us into that kingdom. He will welcome you into that kingdom. And he calls you now to live as citizens of that kingdom. So let's pray for the grace to do that. Let's pray. Oh, Father, if we if we've believed your testimony, empower us to bear witness to you. 
Empower us to bear witness to you. We thank you for Bum and Helen, who we prayed for earlier, who have given their lives to bear testimony to the truth of your words. Lord, we know that, that they are doing that in a, in a very specific way, in a very challenging way, but we are all called to do that in smaller ways every single day. Make us truth speakers like you in every area of life. Do this, Lord, for the sake of our neighbors and for your glory, and help us to bear witness to your gospel. We thank you that we can trust you, that we know that you're going to judge justly, that your justice is is right, and you're going to judge according to truth. But give anyone here who has not received you faith to receive you, to believe your true witness, to believe your testimony, and to believe your voice over every other voice. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.